Welcome to the Savvy Black Birther, a podcast about all things Black birth. Each week we inspire, cultivate, validate, and protect the voice of Black birthers as consumers of healthcare in the United States. It equips our listeners with evidence-based information so they become savvy healthcare consumers during their pregnancy, birth, and the postpartum. Now here's your host, the community's midwife, Takia Sakina Ballard, certified nurse midwife. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for episode six of The Savvy Black Birther. The title of this episode is Sonogram, The Great Pretender. During this episode, we are going to take a look at the obstetrical sonogram and what you, the consumer, really should know. Now, I'm going to take this discussion way past the basic nicety of getting that black and white image. I'm going to tell you what you really should know. And in order for me to provide you with unbiased facts, I must first lay the foundation for good comprehension. Let's look at what is an ultrasound and how does it work? Ultrasound is the most widely used medical imaging method for viewing the baby during pregnancy. Now, as I continue, you will hear me use the words sonogram and ultrasound interchangeably. They are words used in the medical community that refer to the performance of screening or diagnostic imaging that allows practitioners to carefully monitor pregnancies and expected parents the opportunity to view and hear the heartbeat of developing babies, bond with them, and capture images of the baby to share with family and friends. Now, before I'm on, I want to dig a little deeper into ultrasound technology. Let's examine how sonogram is used in obstetrical care. Ultrasound uses sound or mechanical energy to produce images, not radiation. This is a common myth. In order to make what seems complicated easy to comprehend, I will simplify it for your understanding and first explain how sound energy works. We use sound energy every day. In fact, I'm using sound energy right now recording this podcast. When we communicate by speaking, air is vibrated through our vocal cords. These vibrations travel through the air, eventually reaching the ear and the vibrating eardrum. As I'm speaking, my voice is vibrating through the air and those vibrations are being recognized by my microphone and recorded to later be played on your device. The sound energy that your device is emitting right now is traveling through the air and now reaching your eardrum, allowing you to recognize and interpret my speech for understanding. Simple, right? Now, what I have just described in simple terms is called acoustic physics. Now, if I would have started off this podcast talking about acoustic physics, it would have been a wrap, right? Right. It's important that you have this basic understanding because ultrasound waves behave in the same way that audible sound waves behave. The only difference between ultrasound and an audible sound is that ultrasounds 
sound above our hearing range. In other words, we can't hear these waves, hence the prefix ultra. However, both sound and audible sound follow the same rules. Rule number one, all sound is mechanical energy. Rule number two, all sound is transmitted through a substance called acoustic medium. So in the example I just provided, you guessed it, my vocal cords are the acoustic medium. And guess what? So are your eardrums. See, it really is simple to understand. Now let's pull it all together. During an obstetrical sonogram, sound waves are emitted from the transducer, the device being held in the sonographer's hand. The transducer transmits sound waves into the body, and the sound waves are then reflected back to the transducer. The ultrasound system technology measures the waves to determine how far away this object is, its size, shape, and consistency. This also includes whether the object is solid or filled with fluid. In other words, ultrasound can detect changes in the appearance of organs, tissues, and vessels. In the obstetrical setting, ultrasound is mainly used to determine a due date, detect the baby's heartbeat, diagnose miscarriages, birth defects, determine the gender, and predict the size of your baby. However, of late, there has been a prevailing overuse of this tool due to consumer requests, uh, increased commercialization, and provider informational and monetary gains. In 2014, statistics showed that the most common usage of ultrasound in the U.S. was fetal ultrasound procedures that averaged 5.2 per delivery. That is an increase of 92% from 2004 according to an analysis of the data compiled for the Wall Street Journal by Fair Health Inc., a nonprofit aggregator of insurance claims. Some birthing people even reported getting scanned every doctor visit during their prenatal care. Many practitioners and patients view the ultrasound as the central tool in prenatal care. However, what you will soon come to understand may cause you to reevaluate your position on the use of obstetrical sonogram. Let's take a brief look at the research literature. Existing epidemiological large population-based studies showing evidence of the safety of ultrasound were reassuring but were last carried out over three decades ago. The data was based on ultrasound scanners predating 1992 that functioned with lesser output levels. I'm going to review what output levels mean a little later. However, epidemiological studies measure the risk of illness or death in an exposed population compared to that risk in an identical unexposed population. So you can clearly see that having a study like this would be valuable. Now, with the advancement of ultrasonographic technology, the output levels have increased more than seven times the limit set in 1992. Since then, research is limited and does not include epidemiological data. My search of the literature produced limited findings. However, I was able to find a World Health Organization systematic review and meta-analysis that aims 
to evaluate the safety of human exposure to ultrasonography in pregnancy. A systematic review refers to the entire process of selecting, evaluating, and synthesizing all available evidence, while the term meta-analysis refers to the statistical approach to combining the data derived from a systematic review. Now that I've gotten all the definitions out of the way for you guys to understand, um, it's important to note that the World Health Organization uh, review concluded that exposure to diagnostic ultrasonography appears to be safe. Now, in this discussion of obstetrical sonogram, it's very important for us to look at all of the facts. And in a review of the facts, we must really consider the position statement of the medical authorities who have a vested interest in this technology. The most well-known authority is the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, or commonly known as ACOG. This is what they have to say. Currently, there is no evidence that ultrasound is harmful to a developing fetus. No links have been found between ultrasound and birth defects, childhood cancer, or developmental problems later in life. However, it is possible that the effects could be identified in the future. For this reason, it is recommended that ultrasound exams be performed only for medical reasons by qualified healthcare professionals. Casual use of ultrasound during pregnancy should be avoided. A lesser known authority, the American Institute of Ultrasound in Medicine, has to say this. They advocate the responsible use of diagnostic ultrasound and strongly discourage the non-medical use of ultrasound. The use of ultrasound without medical indication to view the fetus, obtain images of the fetus, or identify the fetus' external genitalia is inappropriate and contrary to responsible medical practice. The American Institute of Ultrasound Medicine recommends that appropriately trained and credentialed medical professionals who have received specialized training in fetal imaging perform all fetal ultrasound examinations. These individuals have been trained to recognize medically important image patterns, such as what may be present with congenital anomalies, as well as artifacts associated with ultrasound text uh, scanning that may mimic pathology. Furthermore, they should be proficient in the use of technologies to avoid unnecessary ultrasound exposures to the fetus. The American Institute of Ultrasound Medicine emphasizes that all imaging requires proper documentation and a final report for the patient medical records signed by a physician or advanced clinical provider legally responsible for interpretation. Although the general use of ultrasound for medical diagnosis is considered safe, ultrasound energy has a potential to produce biological effects. It is the responsibility of the operator to minimize the possibility of ultrasound bioeffects by limiting the exposure and dwelling times, by monitoring the output display indices and medical indices, and by using Doppler and elasticity imaging and measurement appropriately for all medical indication. Another medical authority, the American College of Radiology, offers accreditation programs in mammography, CT, MRI, breast MRI, nuclear medicine, and PET ultrasound breast ultrasound, and stereotactic breast biopsy. 
Their practice parameters have been developed for use by practitioners performing obstetrical ultrasound studies as well. And they state that ultrasound should be performed only when there is a valid medical reason and the lowest possible ultrasonic exposure settings should be used to gain the necessary diagnostic information. While this practice parameter describes the key elements of standard ultrasound examinations in the first, second, and third trimesters of pregnancy, a more detailed fetal anatomic examination may be necessary in some cases, such as when an abnormality is found or suspected on the standard examination or in pregnancies at high risk for fetal anomalies. In some cases, other imaging may be necessary as well. Now, while it is not possible to detect all structural congenital anomalies with uh, diagnostic ultrasound, adherence to the practice parameters will increase the likelihood of detecting many fetal abnormalities. That's a lot. So now the last uh, authority that we're going to take a look at is the World Health Organization. And um, I want to review some information that I was able to find. In 2009, the WHO conducted a systematic review and meta-analysis of the literature up to that point. The following statements were published. However, as with any diagnostic test, there may be some risk. There have been few studies specifically designed to evaluate the safety of ultrasound in human pregnancies. Many suffer from methodological shortcomings and few have analyzed possible long-term effects of in utero exposure. To the best of our knowledge, up to the present, there have been no large randomized control studies done for the specific purpose of investigating potential bioeffects of prenatal ultrasound in humans, and it is highly improbable that such studies will ever be performed in developed countries owning to the most universal use of ultrasound in modern obstetrics. The conclusion states, according to the available evidence, exposure to diagnostic ultrasonography during pregnancy appears safe. So the next thing to explore is how are these authorities safeguarding consumers? Ultrasound for all intensive purposes is a non-invasive procedure. It causes no breaks in the skin or cuts in the skin. Um, however, we must remember from our very basic explanation of how ultrasound works, sound energy in the form of ultrasonic beams propagate or transmit through tissue. The energy reaches the tissue and some energy is reflected back to the transducer and some energy is absorbed. Bone absorbs more ultrasound energy than soft tissue, and so it reflects back more strongly a sort of darker resonance. So you will see the darker white hue on sonogram pictures. Ultrasound absorption in tissue rises with increasing frequency. Theoretically, the absorption of energy within tissues leads primarily to a rise in temperature. Also in theory, the passage of uh, ultrasonic sound waves through tissue also leads to mechanical effects and possible cellular effects. However, there is considerable debate in the literature over these topics. In 1992, the National Electrical Manufacturers Association, NEMA, 
and the American Institute of Ultrasound and Medicine, AIM, agreed to uh, on, on a voluntary standard, basically, commonly called the Output Display Standard for on-screen labeling of diagnostic ultrasound devices. This allows users of the ultrasound equipment to operate their systems at a level much higher than previously had been possible in order to have a greater diagnostic capability. However, in an effort to safeguard pregnancies and growing babies with the use of newer technology advances, um, accredited programs certify sonographers to adhere to a principle, and this principle is called ALARA. A-L-A-R-A, as low as reasonably achievable. And so ALERA is this principle that all sonographers must follow in order to conduct a sonogram on a consumer, you. So this means that sonograms are performed carefully with the settings on the ultrasound machine using a low as low an amount of power as necessary, limiting the amount of time needed to obtain images, thereby exposing the developing baby to the least amount of energy possible. Machines that use these indices have preset default levels that are switched on automatically when the machines are first turned on and when the new application is chosen. While this is the standard of care in all settings, where certified sonographers and practitioners practice, insurance reimbursement rates for standard prenatal care are unjustly low, prompting the add-on of in-service sonogram evaluation in some cases. Birthing individuals often report receiving sonogram evaluations every visit. In other cases, when perceived fetal risk is identified, sonographic evaluation can vary from weekly to monthly in the latter and second, third trimester. Researchers in a serial ultrasound in at-risk pregnancies, a randomized control trial, SUN trial it was called, they conducted a randomized control study in which they enrolled approximately 200 women with conditions that can affect the baby's growth or the amount of amniotic fluid around the baby. The women were randomly divided into two groups. One received ultrasounds every four weeks, while the other received them twice as often every two weeks. The study then evaluated the differences in the frequencies of problems that they discovered, such as abnormal growth, uh, low fluid levels, and other complications that might prompt early delivery. The researchers concluded that more frequent ultrasounds did not identify problems more frequently during the third trimester of complex pregnancies. Now, no medical procedure is without risk, and it should be remembered that while the evidence may not be able to provide uh, evidence of harm, it is too not able to provide proof of absence of harm. However, the over-commercialization of the perceived benefits and expected niceties of obstetrical ultrasound devoid the consumer of the evidence to make informed decisions. We just think about sonograms as a way to see the baby. Rarely do we consider that obtaining a sonogram should be a well-informed decision. Some of us are more concerned with making sure that we get our black and white photos. What the evidence really suggests is that every birthing individual should be counseled 
to weigh whatever benefits routine ultrasound might provide against the potential risks and let you decide. Now, you should know by now that I support better healthcare consumerism. In other words, being a savvy birther will benefit you in the end by affecting wiser healthcare decisions to safeguard you in your healthcare encounters. But first, not only do you have to become educated and empowered, you must also unlearn how you've been taught to be a healthcare consumer. Hearing the acoustic sounds of my voice and hearing this information should cause you to think hard, to think better, and to choose smarter. Choose what's right for you based on facts and not niceties, myths, or assumptions. So while we're on the topic of choosing smarter, let's evaluate one of those niceties. Here's what one authority, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, has to say about 3D and 4D ultrasound and personal at-home baby heart rate monitors. In fetal ultrasound, three-dimensional or 3D ultrasound allows for the visualization of some facial features and possibly other parts such as fingers and toes of the fetus. Fetus just basically means baby. Four-dimensional ultrasound is a 3D ultrasound in motion. While ultrasound is generally considered to be safe with very low risks, the risks may increase with unnecessary prolonged exposure to ultrasound energy or when untrained users operate the device. Expectant mothers should also be aware of concerns with purchasing over-the-counter fetal heart rate monitoring systems, also called Doptones. These devices should only be used by trained healthcare providers when medically necessary. Use of these devices by untrained persons could expose the fetus to prolonged and unsafe energy levels or could provide information that is interpreted incorrectly by the users. So understand that ultrasound uh, 3D and 4D facilities may also not employ certified individuals. There are no stringent qualifications and the risk of possible forced reassurance or opposite the anxiety and concern might be something that is experienced by the consumer. Um, and then there's also an unknown exposure quality and timing during those imaging um, as the imaging is happening. So for this reason, um, major organizations like ACOG, uh, AIM, and the FDA do not support keepsake ultrasound and personal heart rate uh, monitoring. It's that time in a show where we feature this week's Savvy Black Birther question. Let's hear what they have to say. Now, typically, I would feature a listener question and answer that question. But on this episode, I'm going to do things a little differently. I polled the followers at Sakina Health on Instagram and asked them to tell me their thoughts about ultrasound in pregnancy. And this is the response that I received. One follower said, my daughter in love got an ultrasound at 20 weeks that showed the baby had a hole in his heart. They scared her sick about Down syndrome and wanted her to get an amniocentesis. Either way, she was going to have the baby. The baby had no other symptoms and she had not had a quad screen. The follow-up ultrasound and the quad screening showed nothing unfavorable. 
I think the clinician matters in the interpretation. And if you follow an intervention model, things may escalate in a way that is unnecessary. Someone else said, I'm afraid if I refuse them, I will miss something terrible like my placenta deteriorating. Another follower said, I'm uncomfortable with how frequently they are used. Like, is that safe, healthy? Someone else said, can you have a sonogram-free pregnancy? Someone said, it's not a great idea. And another follower said, no good unless absolutely needed and even then proceed with caution. Another follower said, I don't want one because I feel it's too much radiation for the baby. Someone else said, I think it's misused as a diagnostic tool rather than the supplemental imaging tool it is. Interesting. Um, another person said, it's not entirely accurate. When my sister uh, found out the sex, they said she had a girl and it was a boy. Someone else said, I never understood what they are looking at and for, minus the possibility of birth defects. Someone says they make it scary and it's overwhelming. Another follower said, we do it far too much. Most need two tops. Someone said, now that I'm on my third, I'm seeing how pointless they are if all is well. Someone says the exaggerated three Ds have a hard time telling me my actual baby size. It's just another tool, more useful early on, can give valuable info, not a standalone tool. Another follower thinks that it increases the C-section rate by telling moms the baby is big in quotation marks. It can be helpful to diagnose, however. Someone says texts do not really explain much of anything. Someone else wrote not needed. And someone says, I wish radiologists could explain more instead of being so cold and quiet. And finally, the last uh, participant said, it's fun seeing the baby, but aren't they not best for baby? What's the facts? So as you can clearly see, there's a wide range of thoughts uh, and, and opinions about sonogram. However, I'm not sure if these opinions and thoughts are based in experiences, uh, whether they're based in uh, the experiences of others uh, and or, you know, information that people have received within the community or from the healthcare community. But I wonder if individuals were well informed with facts, would those opinions change? And would those thoughts be based in those facts so that individuals are savvier to understand more about sonogram evaluation during pregnancy? So that's it for this segment. We're gonna get back to now, in order to continue this and make sure that you are fully informed, we need to look at three areas when it comes down to obstetrical uh, sonogram, and that is training. How is an individual or a provider trained to perform uh, sonograms on a pregnant body? Secondly, we want to look at the accuracy of the obstetrical ultrasound. 
And lastly, we want to look at the standard of care around obstetrical ultrasound. So let's go back to training. When someone or a provider is trained in obstetrical ultrasound, you're going to probably see in your encounter as a patient three types of those individuals. The first individual who you will likely have the most exposure to is um, a registered sonographer. That is a person who has undergone uh, extensive training and is now uh, registered by the American Registry of Diagnostic Medical Sonography. That, that individual actually is a person who most of you are seeing when you go for your sonograms and they're getting the images. They are likely the person who has the most experience because they are the ones who are doing images literally uh, as their life work or, or daily. And so, again, those are the same individuals that are probably not going to be able to give you any information. And the reason is because they are not um, clinicians in the sense that uh, they're, they're responsible for the information. They're just collecting the data for someone else to interpret the information. So I just want to make sure that I make that clear because many individuals, when they go in for sonogram, are expecting that the, the sonographer um, or the ultrasound tech is another word that they use to describe those individuals. Uh, we believe that they can tell us what's going on and they cannot. Most times they'll just say it's a boy or it's a girl or a baby's cute or looks good or what have you, but they cannot give you diagnostic information. So your expectations must be um, placed well when you're encountering these individuals. Um, they really cannot give you information. However, they are the persons who are doing the sonograms the most in our, our healthcare society or, or you know, community. Um, the next thing uh, or next person that you're going to encounter would be an obstetrician, perhaps. Obstetricians um, in the U.S. Um, don't have to undergo ultrasound uh, education. It is a voluntary thing. So when you encounter a, an obstetrician who is practicing and doing sonograms, they are doing it, doing it from a lesser um, capacity. And what I mean by that is that they have not gone through the um, rigid education that the American Registry of Diag uh, Diagnostic Medical Sonography requires. So they're not registered. They might have practiced a lot while they were in their residency and learning to become a doctor. However, a majority of them do not have that um, certification. Some do, however, but majority do not. Now, that does not mean that they are not finding information, uh, valid information, when they are obtaining sonograms, but the majority of them try to defer to the higher uh, practitioners within uh, the hierarchy of, of healthcare when it comes down to diagnosing anomalies and things of that nature. So that next person that I'm referring to is called a maternal fetal medicine um, doctor, so an MFM. They are perinatologists. Uh, they deal with specifically um, the babies in the womb. They're experts on that and mostly high-risk pregnancies. And so they are the individuals that are going to interpret that data that the sonographers are gathering. They're going to be the individual that reads the, the sonogram information and signs the report. 
Um, and so they have to go through extensive training and actually go through a second part of their uh, medical training, which is the MFM um, training. And that is an, a few years of, again, extensive um, experience with this select group of high risk uh, pregnancy or pregnant individuals. So that just gives you an understanding of what training looks like in the U.S. for obstetricians, for um, uh, also MFMs, and for um, son sonographers, the ultrasound techs. Um, one other person that I want to add to that mix is midwives. Midwives, you will see, carry out son uh, sonograms, also nurse practitioners, perhaps. But again, they're doing more limited sonograms. They're not doing the... Uh, more in-depth sonograms that you'll see when um, you're going for your anatomy scan. That particularly is going to be done or obtained by the ultrasound tech and then read by an MFN uh, specialist. So I hope that that gives you a little bit better understanding of how training um, is functions in the United States and what are the, uh, the um, basic um, skill sets of, of each individual who might be involved in performing a sonogram on you. Now, when we're looking at uh, the next piece of this, we, we want to talk about accuracy. And um, ultrasounds are not 100% reliable for everything they measure. Um, and they are estimations, and especially when it comes down to weight. Um, and so an act, the accuracy of an ultrasound uh, can vary based on a many, many factors. Uh, a couple of those factors include the stage of the pregnancy. So uh, in the first trimester of the pregnancy, you're going to get a more accurate sonogram because you have a smaller uh, growing baby in your womb. Whereas in the second and third trimesters, you're going to get a little bit less accuracy when it comes down to specifically weight because now your baby is more in a fetal position, a little harder to measure all, all of the areas of the baby's body. Um, other areas that will make uh, the accuracy of an ultrasound vary would be the type and the quality of the machine that's being used, the skill of the, of the sonogram technician, and the positioning of the baby in the womb. So again, and, and also, let me add this, maternal habitus, which is basically the body structure of, of the, um, the birthing person or the pregnant person. So accuracy is very critical for um, healthcare consumers to understand. It is not 100% uh, accurate when we're getting this sonogram um, data. These are clearly estimations. Now, when it comes down to looking for specific markers for identifying anomalies like um, you know, or issues with the heart or um, any malformations on, on a baby, chromosomal, potential chromosomal uh, disorders. Again, they're looking for markers, um, but most sonograms um, do not have the accuracy by which they can assess and say that this information is provided at 100% reliable reliability. Now we're going to look at the standard of care from the lens of the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. Now the reason why we're using this medical authority is because they are um, or have been placed as uh, the authority when it comes down to obstetrics or medical pre prenatal care. Um, and so when we're looking at uh, the ACOG, as, as many people refer to this uh, authority, they recommend that 
ultrasound exams be performed only for medical reasons by qualified healthcare professionals. They also endorse a statement from the American Institute of Ultrasound and Medicine, and that statement is, although there are no confirmed biological effects on patients caused by exposures from present uh, diagnostic ultrasound instruments, the possibility exists that such biological effects may be identified in the future. Thus, ultrasound should be used in a prudent manner to provide medical benefit to the patient. And now when I looked into what their patient literature is, um, they have a website that speaks about ultrasound and is specifically for the, um, the healthcare consumer. And so this is what they had to say uh, about the question, how many ultrasounds do I have to get or what's the proper number of ultrasounds? And so the response to that question was, you should have at least one standard exam during your pregnancy, which usually is performed at 18 to 22 weeks of pregnancy. Some women may have an ultrasound exam in the first trimester of pregnancy. A first trimester ultrasound exam is not standard because it is too early to see many of the fetus's limbs and organs in detail. An ultrasound done this early is used to do the following. Estimate gestational age, help screen for certain genetic disorders, count the number of fetuses, check the fetus's heart rate, and check for ectopic pregnancy. And so literally, it's, it's very important to understand that this uh, medical authority is really only recommending um, at least one uh, sonogram. Um, however, have noted that um, there are first trimester sonograms that are performed but they're performed for specific reasons. And so it's very important for healthcare consumers to be knowledgeable of this um, because we do know that there is an abundance of sonograms that are being done in our medical society at this point. And um, they all sound for like for valid reasons, um, specifically when healthcare consumers are entering these birthing spaces, they feel like they have to have these sonograms done for to check this, to check that, to check this and to check that. Um, however, um, it's it's made to read to believe or you're, you're believing when you're encountering these spaces that uh, sonogram is basically um, a harmless procedure that is done. And while this, the current or the, the past studies have suggested that there's no harm, they also have not proven that there isn't any harm. And so it really is important for you as the healthcare consumer to be savvy and to understand this when you're going out in these um, in industrialized spaces. Um, and you need to understand what your options are and why you want to undergo specific testing and have the risk benefits clearly identified in your mind so that you can make wise choices for yourself. Voice Messages is designed to give listeners a way to offer spoken feedback to show hosts. Click the link on the show profile and record a message for up to one minute. Click send this message and your question or comment may be featured in an upcoming show. It's that simple. Like what you hear so far? Never miss a show by clicking that subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you, so thank you so much for your support. Now, back to the show.
Now, you might be wondering why the title Takia, Sonogram, The Great Pretender. I think the reason why I chose the, the title, obviously, is to make sure that, you know, you guys are listening out there and that it seems catchy and something that will draw you in. But secondly, I really picked the title because I really believe that the sonogram is a pretender. And the reason why I'm saying that is because if we look at the definition of pretender, a pretender is something or someone who maintains a specific claim, but might not necessarily um, come to that standard of that they're trying to maintain. So if you think about the information that I've presented to you, you can clearly see that the sonogram is actually not all that it's, you know, pretends to be. In society, we have this idea that the obstetrical sonogram is a fairy tale. It's a time to get to see the baby. We get to watch the baby in their environment. We get to see a 3D or 4D picture of those chubby cheeks, perhaps. Or we get to figure out if we're having a boy or a girl. Um, other things that you know are important to consumers is making sure that your baby's healthy, and that's a valid, important, and, and you know thing to want to know. And all of those things are valid. But the reality is, is that we have to also understand that any medical intervention carries risk, and those risks cannot be ignored. They must be, you know, accepted and viewed in a healthy manner. And we need to look at what the benefits are versus what the risks are. And as long as you are savvy in understanding that, then the decision that you make is not one of ignorance, but one of wise, you know, informed birthing decisions, one that comes from being uh, informed about how this process that you're choosing works. So I want you to understand that this conversation or this information that I'm disseminating to you via this podcast is not to discredit sonogram. Sonogram is a very valuable tool in obstetrics and in the care of birthing individuals. However, we as healthcare consumers need to stop having such, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? We need to have not have such such faith and in these things, especially if they only can provide estimations. And so our faith and our value in a specific thing must be uh, well-placed and it also must be worthy of our trust, right? So I really hope, again, that you guys have gotten to understand why the title is what it is. It's because the sonogram really needs to be uh, shown for what it is and not what we think it is. When considering obstetrical ultrasound as a part of your prenatal care, it's very important that you uh, carry this education with you because it now is empowering you to make decisions. Um, And you need to use your own judgment. Uh, Make sure that you're not feeling bullied or pressured in one way or another. Um, And that, again, your decisions are respected Um, listened to and upheld by your clinical providers. Um, And so we want to make sure that you have that understanding. Now, for those of you who are really, you know, heard the information and have concerns about ultrasound, some of the things that you can practice is really considering 
um, doing medical ultrasounds or obstetrical ultrasounds only when, indi- when indicated. As ACOG recommends, one is, is enough. Um, but you can also consider that um, you would only do it when it's indicated um, when a particular problem might have been might be suspected or arises. Um, and if you're just doing it because you want to know the sex of the baby, perhaps, you know, in your understanding or as you move further in, you know, digesting this information, you might decide differently. Um, other things that you can potentially ask for when you're encountering um, this particular uh, process is saying that you would like to limit your total exposure time. So um, you want to make sure that you, you know, you have a skilled and knowledgeable operator or a sonographer that is able to get that information in a short period of time. Now, of course, you got to have a baby that cooperates with that, um, but you want to minimize your exposure as much as possible. And if you're, you know, not really sure about the validity or importance of sonogram in the first trimester, um, if it's not necessary and you don't feel like it's necessary, that might be something that you want to also reevaluate. Um, again, because during the first trimester, your baby is doing a lot of um, development. Um, and so that might be something that you want to think about. Um, either way, uh, so far, the, the evidence proves or shows that um, there's no harm. But again, like I said, uh, just because that evidence is there doesn't mean that there isn't any harm. So again, this is putting you, the healthcare consumer, at the head of that decision uh, making table, like I like to say. And um, it's requiring you to think about this, um, not to be force fed and told what you should be doing um, or that you just have to report to this next appointment, but to actually pause for a second and think about your risks and your benefits when it comes down to obstetrical ultrasound. And at the end of the day, use your own judgment because, again, you are an expert for you. I hope that listening to this podcast has given you some insight into the obstetrical sonogram. I hope that you are a little wiser and more confident to make decisions regarding sonograms during your pregnancy. And lastly, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of The Savvy Black Birther. As I always say, when education and empowerment meet, decision-making capabilities improve, Individuals are confident to stand for themselves and communities are no longer paralyzed by fear, but mobilized towards a desired outcome. Let's be radical in our pursuit of safe, unbiased healthcare. As Angela Davis has said, radical simply means grasping things at the root. And I believe radical starts with first being educated and empowered. Next week, we're going to talk about the God we trust. And no, I'm not going to take y'all to church, but we are going to expose the electronic fetal monitoring system and discuss how it has become the God of the labor room when its interpretations do more harm than good for the low-risk birthing person. Ooh, y'all, this is going to be a good one. for joining me this week on the Savvy Black Birther. Make sure to visit my website, Sakina Health, that's S-A-K-I-N-A health.net, where you can find evidence-based information, resources, and more. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, I'd appreciate a rating or a review. 
And don't forget to tell a friend or a family member. This will help me reach many more Black birthing families. Thank you so much for listening and be sure to tune in for the next episode. Be informed, be equipped, and be savvy Black birthers.